This is a Hot Pie Media Original. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp assesses your needs and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating with them in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not a self-help line. It's professional therapy done securely online with a broad range of expertise, which might not be available in local markets. The services are available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and even send messages to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly online video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room again. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so that they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials. Visit betterhelp.com SSS. That's betterhelp.com SSS, the code for Stop Self-Sabotage, and join the over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp help that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. So don't forget the special offer for Stop Self-Sabotage listeners is to get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com SSS. If you like Stop Self-Sabotage, check out another Hot Pie Media original, The Blueprint, brought to you by The Festive Kitchen, now offering comfort food hugs. Find them at www.festivekitchen.com. Welcome, Lisa Luckett, and I am so delighted to have you on, and you have written a wonderful book about a horrible experience. Um, tell us a little bit about your story, Lisa, please. Well, first of all, thanks for having me today, Pat. This is really, truly wonderful. Uh, so my story is that we are now at the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and I am a widow from that event. Uh, my husband, Teddy, was working in the North Tower of the World Trade Center above the fire. And so began this journey that I have been on in this very unique way, um, in the strangest possible way. I was actually prepared to handle his death. And so that I had a very different experience of 9-11 because of that preparation by 11 o'clock that morning, I was literally calm and clear and firmly planted back from the edge of the abyss. In fact, kind of the analogy would be, I was a weeble. I wobbled, but I didn't fall down. <laughs> and, you know, so that kind of began this, this course of study for the last 20 years of how can we all benefit from looking at things in a different way and from shifting our perspective instead of being in that victim mode of why is this happening to me instead shifting to say, why is this happening for me? Why am I being oh, shown I like this? That. What am I supposed to learn here? Why yeah. is this being, what is this for me? I love that. All right. So you talk about being prepared. Tell us a little bit about that. Why, right, so how were you prepared? Well, that's, yeah, very bizarrely. Yeah. Uh, and again, so kind of for, for the audience, it's really about in my, my bigger message would be that life is always preparing you for life. And it's not usually the good stuff. It's the hard <laughs> stuff. <laughs> you know, so, you know, oh, darn. Oh, I darn. Know. I know. I know. But the, the truth be told that my husband, Teddy, was working in the World Trade Center. He worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, which was the big company at the top that lost 658 people in one swoop. Um, they were in that building for many, many years. But in 1993, in the first attack on the World Trade Centers, he walked down those 
105 floors for four and a half hours. And when he got home, he was covered in so much soot. I remember he walked through the door and you could smell the fire. It filled the apartment. It's so toxic. So, and I, you know, I sat like you would on the toilet and he was showering and telling me about his day and the water ran black for like five minutes. He was covered and you Uh, wouldn't really see it. Right. He was kind of smudged. Yeah. So that preparation. So I got really angry about it. About six months later, I flipped out at a dinner party and couldn't believe people like were not angry about this terrorism and nobody cared. Like people just brushed it under the rug, but fast forward, you know, eight years later and here it happens. And I never get angry again because I'd already processed the fact that those were two enormous targets and we went back in. (laughs) So that was one piece. And that knowledge of the smoke piece was really important because there was no smoke outside of the buildings in that first attack. It was a clear blue day. Right. So when I turned the TV on, on nine 11, I knew he was gone. There's just no way he was going to survive that thick, black, oily smoke. It was just huge. I mean, we could all see it. So, um, so that, that was a first preparation. That was my first experience of terrorism of the world trade centers. Mm -hmm. The second piece, which is pretty twisted is that my mother-in-law who was not the nicest lady, um, to herself or me told me he was going to die of a heart attack every time I saw her for the years we were married. Jeez. Well, and the reason being, okay, he had high cholesterol naturally. We were 40. I had just turned 41. He was really stressed at this Wall Street job. We had just had another baby. I had a four-month-old at 41. And he um he was a walking heart attack. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I what it did was it ran, I ran his death through my mind, literally. Oh. I didn't say how hundreds of times oh. to the point I would be laying at the, at night weeping, oh. you know, with the, with the fear and the worry until I just couldn't like torture myself anymore. Sure. And we decided to buy as much life insurance as we could afford that. I already knew where all the important documents were and to make sure we went to bed well every night, having righted any wrongs and mm. let it go. Not knowing that all of that worry that we as humans have such vivid, brilliant imaginations, we can actually get ourselves just as worked up at the idea of an event. Oh, of course. We create it. Yeah. Yeah. We have all the emotional flooding and experience of it. So, so horribly, paradoxically, you had lived his death for many years. I had lived his death. So, so when it actually happened, I was fine because I was prepared. Yeah. And I was a nursing mother of a four month old. I had three little kids, seven, four and four months. And the other piece is that nature, God, the universe, however you want to express it is there. And I believe that actually trauma, since we're, we're kind of talking about mostly trauma, the trauma is really an opener and it's in a being an opener. We could also see it as an opportunity. We could be really positive about it, Yeah, but it's an opener. And that in fact, pain which I've thought about for many years, you know, if, if nature is in perfect balance, if we agree with that, then pain is natural in nature. It must have a purpose. And maybe that purpose is the, the rocket fuel we need to learn that we want that pain to stop. So yes, I literally blew through this experience. I was blown wide open and what came in, I was flooded honestly with what ended up being a higher power. I mean, I didn't know it then, but it's, it's kind of the story is, you know, by 11 o'clock that morning here, I stood and I was watching my house full of people, my dear friends, neighbors, everybody just beyond tears, just so incredibly shocked. 
and horrified and all needing to help me. And I yes. couldn't really get my head around my husband's death. So, but I could definitely get my head around the fact that I was an American and my country had just been attacked and I wanted to help them too. So it was this mutual need to help. And I realized in that moment, there was nothing anybody could do to help me, but the only thing I could do to serve them was to actually allow them to help me, Yes, which was the most bitter pill ever. Yes. As we you know, have discussed. Well, but let's go back there for a second. You, it's a bitter pill because you saw yourself as a strong woman, able to handle anything and, and not really wanting these people with their casseroles or their this or their that, or all well-meaning, all well-meaning. Right. Of course. But so how did you, what happened there for you, Lisa? I mean, because your reaction was not, oh my gosh, thank you so much. It was some level resistance to it. Well, for initially, so it's all an internal conversation, right? I'm yeah, yeah, standing yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I feel literally feel like these hands behind my back. And I'm like, why? What? Like, like propping me up. And I'm like, well, Teddy is like, is that you? Like, what the heck? And in this time, as I'm going, I don't want anybody's help. I can do all this. I'm a woman of the 60s, 70s, 80s. You know, this is shameful if I take help. Oh my gosh, I'm a failure. And all the things we say to ourselves, because women were never allowed to ask for help, um, is that is this voice that came through and it literally said this, Lisa, let them help you. Oh, full on voice. I didn't know anything about that stuff then. But what happened was I surrendered, Pat, and I let go of my control and that control that we all think we have that doesn't really exist. That In that moment, though, this is the <clears throat> most amazing part. I was overwhelmed with the sensations of gratitude and humility and grace and this feeling of love that I have never, ever lost. This unbelievable buoying, buoying, however you say it, this literally being buoyant from this overwhelming sense of grace. Uh, and you literally felt the hands on your back and you heard a voice saying, let them help you. Mm-hmm. Do you hypothesize that that was your husband? Uh, don't you don't. I no. think so. I mean, I'm going to say yes, because here's, here's what goes with the whole spirituality enlightenment world is it's based on faith. You know, yes. what is faith that is that, you know, believing that in which we cannot prove or see. Right. And, and I have absolute faith that I have been guided since the second I literally came to, if you will, on the couch minutes after watching the second plane hit the second tower with mm-hmm. my kids in my arms, my four-year-old and my four, four-month-old, like staggering, oh. whatever I did. My son said I was stomping my feet. I don't even remember that. I'm screaming my husband's name, but, but I literally came kind of around and went, wait a minute. Okay. You've got to function. You have to get these kids through this. They are all that matters. So everything got really simple. Like it was just about my kids. Yeah. 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 But let's go back to let them help you. So when you felt that, what did you do? What was your next response? I surrendered. And in surrendering, it's an emotion, you know, it's all, this is, you know, I didn't get down on my knees or anything, but I, I, I just allowed, I let go. And that's, you know, we talk about letting go and in the bigger picture of, and we talk about control and things like that. We've touched on this. We really control nothing. And it's in the letting go that that's that humility, right? That grace that, that we aren't in control and we can just allow things to happen and unfold naturally as they're meant to. 
Yes. And it softened me. It just softened everything. It just, all I could see was beauty in that. That's the second piece of this is I'm a pretty positive person by nature. I'm a, I'm a half full versus a half empty, Yeah, yeah. but I could literally not stop seeing the beauty in everything. Like on like the, like the kindness, it was literally palpable. Like it almost like there was a, an aura around the fact that we had that all of this love that I was seeing the, the incredible grace of humanity of the best of my friends in this traumatic moment. And later to understand that it is the magnanimous aspect of being human. When we are in a pinch, we show up. We do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. 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 And, and, um, and that's like you said, you surrendered and that, and that surrendering has never stopped. I mean, are you still feeling it 20 years later? I still feel it 20. It's, and it's a practice, you know, I'm, uh-huh. I'm not saying, you know, cause then reality comes back and life sh- shows up and sure, you know, and that, but the idea that the practice being that, you know, when we think we're in control and when we're frustrated, when things happen to us back to that, it all plays together. Yeah. So instead of being upset about something happening and getting really angry and you're allowed to be angry by the way, but you just can't stay there, right. you know, right. and, and it's right. a lot, but everything we were talking earlier, it just still has to process in its own time. And we, that's part of the control. Like, mm-hmm. why am I feeling like that? And we beat ourselves up, right. Yeah. It's part of, that's the flip side also of, uh, especially as women, we, we can't allow ourselves to be helped. Like no one wants to ask for help still. I'm not saying it's easy and it was never easy for me, but I knew it was right. Yes. Because it became this understanding of the people around me were projecting themselves into my situation. It could have been their husbands. Yes. It could have been their wives. Yes. And in that projection, they needed to feed their souls. <laughs> they needed to give to me to make themselves feel better. Yeah. You were talking it about, it really wasn't about me. Yeah. Well, right. you're talking about soul food and I love mm-hmm. that, you know, it really is food for the soul and of uh, soul food. And, and so they show up with what they can give, which they know yes. is, is in, in no way, you know, going to make up for it, but they can do something and they need to, because they need to do it for themselves and probably for you too. I mean, there's an element for sure, of that. Yeah. For sure. It was, it was a subconscious, but, but it was, it was pretty early on when I kind of figured that out. The other thing in, in listening and talking about trauma is that people are going to help you the way they want to help you. Not necessarily the way you need to be helped. <laughs> so it's not like I had people taking my kids from me and giving, letting me take a nap. Like yeah. that wasn't really happening. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I really yeah. could have used that. Yeah, and the yeah. other side of that is that, and I, I'd be curious to know what your experience is with this. Um, the people I thought were going to be there uh-huh. were not. Interesting. And yeah. unexpected people, tertiary people were the ones that showed up yeah. and ended up saving me. Yeah. So I, all I, of that. I have heard that a number of times and, and it, it's, it's perplexing because you think these are my dearest, dearest friends and they would show up, I would show up for them. And then somehow, you know, they can't come to the hospital or they can't, you know, they always have something to, to do or something. And, and the truth is they're not there. And, and so you have a double loss. You have the loss of the, the, you know, your husband and then the loss of your expectation of what these people would have been for you. Um, but as you said, the grace is that other people step up, um, 
So, and in, in accepting that in those, um, in, in your book, let's talk about the book. Give, give us the book title. We want okay. people to get the book. Come on. Okay. So the book is titled aptly, The Light in 9-11, Shocked by Kindness, Healed by Love. I love that. On, on the heels of that, of your point that, you know, people, the ones who show up and vice versa, I was really healed by the kindness of strangers. Yes. So, yes. and the, the energetic love that was being showered on my, on myself, on my kids, on all the nine 11 families that we literally have never, ever, ever been forgotten. Mm. I mean, if the world treated if we treated each other as nine 11 families are treated, we would have no problems in the world. Nice. Nice. Well, and the reason, right. Well, think about it. You guys know what happened to me. Yeah. And how rarely do we know what really, what people are really struggling with. Right. Well, and you had a built-in uh, group of people, uh, 658 families from Cantor Fitzgerald, that it all happened to them as well. So, I mean, right. you, you had a built-in support group. Well, they became a support. Cantor was a, was a whole story in unto itself. But yes, I mean, it was more though, we were all recipients and variations on receiving, right? And we were, it was coming from every possible angle. I mean, worldwide money, attention, gifts, cards. I mean, from strangers, I got quilts and stuffed animals and things that people made from Texas, from Mississippi, (sighs) from all over the world. I mean, thousands of cards, literally thousands. So, and it's just an insane amount of attention, which again is a lot to handle. Um, And I was so grateful And my, a lot of people shut their doors, you know, and what I realized, and, and that's, again, I think why it's, my experience was unique is I recognize that people needed to be able to see me. They needed to be able to touch me to see my kids to know that if it was to happen to them, they too would be okay. Mm. So instead of shutting people out, which would be the normal thing to do over a normal person, would be to close your door and take a break. Yeah. Um, I rallied in this love. I literally was, was pulled into this better place I was better for having lived it almost immediately. It made me a better person. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just think that's it's just such an amazing story. But you, you brought up a good point in that as well. And that is that people give to you in the way they want to, they would want to be given to. And yes. it may not be the way you want it. And this comes down to our inability to ask. So mm-hmm. to say to someone, hey, you know, I thank you for the broccoli casserole, but could you watch my kid for 10 minutes so I can take a shower? You know, I mean, yes. but it's that it's that um, a duality we have to learn to be grateful, yes. but to also be proactive in what we need. It isn't yes. just receiving. It's asking as well. And there is right. a there's a push pull with that, I think, you know, for most of us. Yeah, well, we're in, in, in America, we're, we are unwriting 400 years of training and all the European and other cultural training that came before that. I mean, receiving is very difficult. And, and as I say, it, it wasn't something I enjoyed really ever. But I, when you, if you're in a situation like this and you can look at it in the sense that you're helping other people when you allow them to give to you, mm-hmm. that if you can do it for them, it makes it a less bitter pill. Yes. Yes, of course. So, um, okay. In your book, you describe how society reacted in the days, weeks, months, and years after the attacks. How do you think that has played out um, to where we are today? Well, the analogy that I have, which I, I got really early in the first few weeks was 
two kind of visuals came to mind. The first being that <laughs> it's not very pretty, but a chicken with its head cut off. Like we were frantically darting and jerking in, in frenetic circles. No one knew what to do. Right. And the second being a stagecoach barreling down a mountainside out of control because the driver had let go of the reins. We literally went, Oh my gosh. And we threw our arms up when those buildings fell in, you know, technicolor, incredible drama, right? You could never create that in Hollywood No, that we all had time to tune in and yes. see it in real time yes. with our own eyes in our own living rooms. Yeah. You will never create something like that. We'll never be that naive again, right? What happened in my opinion is we started to spin in that spin. We were pushed out in a, like an emotional centrifugal force so that wherever we were broken, we broke further. So I can, that played out in my families. Both families were dysfunctional to begin with, and they were blown apart by nine 11, never to recover, hmm. never to recover. So alcoholism, drug addiction, <clears throat> of marital, extramarital affairs, shopping, no surprise 2008 would happen. And we'd have given away all this money, all of these subprime mortgages where people didn't know it would really be able to afford because it was just a feeding frenzy of let's feel better and make money and, and make things happen without thinking, hmm. Hmm. you know, so there's, you can, we can, if we want to look at this again, a shift in perspective, how can we look at nine 11 in different ways so that we can learn from it and shift out of this victimization mode and see where we are as a result. And my opinion now, 20 years later, post-COVID, which is fascinating, is if you look at these years, bookended by two global collective traumas that changed the world forever. Yes. One, a hammer, a smashing immediate hammer. <laughs> the other, a slow building flood that yes. we couldn't get away from, right? Yes, yes. When we <laughs> dropped the reins in 9-11, maybe COVID was Mother Nature saying, whoa, let's pull back and slow down. You know, everybody needs a timeout. They need a snack and a nap and we need to get up and figure this stuff out. So, you know, the idea that we have been literally frenetically spinning because we didn't have leadership. There was no leader. We, our country is very young. We are very inexperienced. We do not have wisdom from experiential learning. And until my belief is until we spin and we see 9-11, until we the reparations that are being made in our country right now for the Native Americans, for the African-Americans, even these ideas to start to make things right, to say that we were we were wrong. Imagine that, you know, <laughs> we just didn't mean to do it. Yeah. And it ended up but we take responsibility. So the self-awareness and the emotional intelligence that comes with learning from our experience instead of blaming. Instead of staying in that frozen place of they did it on the us. edge of the abyss. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So as you said, instead of a, it happened to us, it happened for us. I love that. And and the for us then is open to a lot of interpretation about what that for us is. But right. what is your secret to seeing the silver lining in what happened, as you say, in gaining post-traumatic growth? PTG. I love that. PTG. Yeah, it's not mine. That is something that's popped up in the culture in the last couple of years. And you know, we hear, of course, PTSD all the time. Yeah. Well, post-traumatic growth is, 
is the opportunity is when you've had a chance to look at your experience and when you're through it more or less, right. We're always mm-hmm. evolving and we're always going to circle back on these experiences. And, and if we're and in a healthy mindset, yeah. right. We're yeah. going to see it in new and different ways. But the idea of being the litmus test in my life would be, am I better for having lived it? And I have a short story about eight years later in 2009, I had a breast cancer diagnosis. And after the initial shock of the word cancer, when I came to, you know, a few hours later, I went, wait a minute, this is a test. Have I learned a skill set for trauma management? Mm. The answer is, yeah. (laughs) because it's just a process like everything it's just that's where again our culture we have not had time to really nurture our emotional intelligence we've spent so much time on academics we've been so much time on physical fitness we've spent no time on emotional health or emotional knowledge or well-being so that (laughs) three-legged stool of balance 9-11 happened and we tipped over but we have the opportunity right now 20 years later when we've maximized the other two to a point where we can't get any bigger, when Olympians and athletes are having to take steroids to compete and kids who are getting 1600s and 4.0s and being tutored for better A's are not getting into the colleges of their choices. Have we not maximized those things? But we've done nothing. Like It's like a new frontier and it's really exciting. And if the American intellect can get its head around no pun intended. The, the innovation is our gross domestic product. It's our biggest thing. We are innovators. We think it up and everybody else builds it, right? What if we were to innovate emotional intelligence? What if we decided to put our time and our effort in that direction and bring that balance back up? You're singing my song. You are singing my song. I love that. That's why we're friends. That's why we're friends. Um, yeah, I was talking to somebody earlier today And they were talking about schools. And I said, why in the world do we not have required personal development, communication skills, learning about dysfunctional families in schools? I mean, I haven't used algebra, you know, I really (laughs) haven't. But I could have learned a lot about dysfunctional families and I could have learned a lot about, you know, being able to um, uh, to take care of myself and to learn my voice and be able to speak my truth. So to your point, I gosh, we 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 have to do that. We just have to now more than ever. Truly. Right. And, and I, we had talked about your audience having some nice younger people in it, millennials, Gen Zers. And, and that's where my heart lies right now, because I'm really not in a, I don't have time to convince anybody of anything. But what I know about the younger people, what I know about people born after 1990, the late 80s, they're born actually into a different energy and they're, they're just different humans. They're more yeah. sensitive. Mm-hmm. They've been, they've grown up in a different world post post 9-11, they've grown up in uh, technology. Mm. So we as adults really can't answer their questions because they can get whatever they need from Google. So how do we shift around to become useful humans to the younger culture, part of the culture? And that is to be that wise counsel, Mm. to be that quiet voice of reason. (laughs) But to the kids, I say this, we can delineate to the month, a 20 year window of collective trauma. 
where we were literally being battered back and forth between after 9-11, we had hurricanes, we had tornadoes, fires, floods, big, big things, right? All the shootings. I mean, literally almost countless shootings. Countless. So we've not been able to been able to come up for air. Mm -mm. So maybe now with COVID, it's slowed enough down, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's certainly unrest going on, but that's, that's everything coming to the surface to be healed, to be seen, to be looked at, to be heard, seen, mm-hmm. acknowledged, right? That's what ultimately heals that. You know that better than anyone. It's being seen and heard and validated that yes. you're not crazy. Yes. That what you think is real and what you real, what you feel is right. Yeah. For you. For you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if that is what, you know, processes out f- to come out of COVID, then, you know, what a great gift, you know, to well, the, I think it will. I us. think the kid, I think we've really identified that the education needs to be very, very much looked at the curriculum. And, and like you said, I think we should have emotional intelligence be the fifth category, history, English, like uh, science, math, and emotional intelligence. Yeah, I, needs I agree. To be a mandatory lane. Absolutely. Conflict uh, resolution. We need to study world religions <laughs> more than we need to study social things. Make it real, make it tangible and current based on history, right? So mm-hmm. that we can understand how it's mm-hmm. repeating. And, but mostly just to go into it with a different mindset mm-hmm. of collaboration yeah, and not exactly. domination. Exactly. Well, and it's, it's so fascinating to, um, you know, I have a, a grandson and uh, I, he was visiting me and I, I called his mother. I said, I said, I'm doing something wrong. He won't talk. <laughs> she said, no, 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 it's fine. He just doesn't talk. She said, and he won't talk. And then he'll come in and he'll want to talk for an hour. And so one night he came into um, to, uh, the bedroom and he sat down in my bed. He goes, okay, Nana, let's talk about religion. So, and then we went on for an hour and I thought, you know, this is very interesting how this kind of, you know, younger brain processes things. And, and he really wanted to know, and I can't remember being 17 and asking about world religions. I mean, I don't think I was, I was thinking about cheerleading. Right. And I was thinking about where's the next party. Yeah. It's his boyfriend. Yeah. But, but the kids of today, you know, we have to remember something that's really important. And that is in one generation we flip. So I'm, I'm 60. My kids are in their twenties. We flipped from being a a model parenting model of children were to be seen and not heard in an adult world to my husband, Teddy saying of my daughter, Jen, when she was two, Oh my gosh, we're just working at the castle for the princess. <laughs> we started waiting on our kids. And in that one, because we must have recognized somewhere in there that we didn't get what we needed. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. but now, children today, we plant them in the ground, we water them, feed them, and give them sun, and we let them grow into who they are instead of who we want them to be. Yeah. We don't make them, they don't have to be an extension of us for us to love them. Yes. So we, we, maybe we finally conquered, well, I mean, I've conquered the word, but we've come much closer to true unconditional love of our children. Yeah. Wouldn't and that be that's nice? got to get people step, stepping off on a better foot just to start with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Elisa. Okay. So how does the shifting perspective that you've gained and your self-awareness help you um, to, I mean, it's helped you to grow and how does it help you to become wiser now? Looking back 20 years You've had 20 years for this to, to sift and to process and, and, um, and for you, what are some tips that maybe you could give to people to, to help them with trauma 
and, well, so, and resilience, so, you know, you know, it's, well, we've mentioned this a little bit about trauma and resilience. It, it is about letting go of control and as hard as that can be, because that pain really, it does hurt, but unfortunately we have to ride the wave. And knowing that what I was never, what I was always amazed by is I never got that crashing tidal wave of tidal wave of pain that I had always anticipated watching the people that I had known go through grief because they were actually ultimately pretty unhealthy. And, um, but it came in small doses and it comes over time and it lessens and it's unexpected. Like anyone who's been through grief knows that it's, it's not, it's very unique to each person and it's not something you can plan for. You just have to ride it when it comes, but it will eventually dissipate. And that love to me is a connector. So if I get weepy over Ted 20 years later, I'm grateful because I've processed this so much, but you know, the truth be told, and I really need to tell this story because it's, it's the critical point within a couple of weeks after 9-11, you can tell I'm strong. I'm, I'm a warrior spirit. And, and I felt this power, this kind of mission building from within me. And it, and it wasn't a negative, it wasn't an angry warrior. It was really a warrior of love and determined that there was no way I was going to let Teddy and all the others die in vain. Like that was just not going to happen on my watch that I would spend my life trying to make something good come from 9-11 or the terrorists were going to win. And that wasn't okay. And I didn't even know what that meant. So I didn't even know about intentions then, but what I did was I was setting the intention of my life. And what I did was I took my life to the analyst's couch to figure out the why of everything, which is what the book is about, because it's the journey of literally pulling the pieces apart, not to blame anyone, not to point fingers and, and have anger. It's about figuring out the why, what's underneath it. Why, why am I having these repetitive experiences? What happened in my childhood? What happened to the people? What were those traumatic scenarios that, that caused me to be who I am and triggered the way I am. And until we know ourselves, you know, it doesn't really answer the trauma question, but it does answer kind of the age old question well, of why are we here? Yeah. And I think we're here to struggle because it's within the struggle where the wisdom is. It's where the, that's where we can garner the growth and that post-traumatic growth, that PTG comes from mm. it's silver linings. All of it comes from this shifting perspective and not knowing everything. So when I introduce myself to someone now, and I should have at the beginning of this say, Pat, it's really nice to see you. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm a recovering know-it-all. <laughs> because that's our culture. We are a culture of know-it-alls. And the first thing you can do is go, you know what? I have no idea what I'm doing here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. So I love that. I'm a recovery know-it-all. I'm 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 not sure I'm I'm uh, ready to say it, but I certainly <laughs> believe it. I certainly think that that's probably well, true. Well, some of us are less obvious than that. But you know, um, but the truth is it's that humility is the yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. It's that opportunity to take responsibility for our actions. Yeah, exactly. We don't intentionalize. I just said this to someone the other day. Nobody goes out in their day and says, you know, I'm going to be mediocre today. No. We're no. all doing our best in that moment. Yeah. Whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. We can yeah. only know looking back what, what it meant. And it's just taking responsibility to help the relationships. And that's what that vulnerability, which is now so, so much in our culture, right? It's, it is a superpower and self-awareness is a superpower of the future. And it's in the strength and that vulnerability, that is the richness of your growth and your relationships that you let down that guard and you let those people see you in this way. And there's so much love exchanged in that moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's only good. Yeah. 
Of course. Um, and your book, I hope it's going to be coming out again or re-release. It's out. It's out. It's yeah. out. Okay. Yeah. So tell everybody where they can get Amazon. So it's on Amazon. You can go to my website, lisaluckett.com. It's an author website. It just gives you a little bio and okay. the first chapter and stuff. But uh, Lisa Luckett is L-U-C-K-E-T-T. But the synopsis of the book would be this. While it's founded in 9-11, it's really about healing from trauma, right. any trauma. So yes. to your point of our show today, yes, it's about choosing, mm-hmm. operative word being choosing, which means not staying in that victim place, but choosing to see the silver linings or the light in your situation. And that doesn't mean it's going to be in the same size. Like if you lose a, someone you love, the, the idea that the kindness of strangers that are coming in to support you, it's not in the same balance, but that kindness keeps you from tipping over into the abyss. Yes. And yes. lot, you know, complete loss. And ultimately the kindness of strangers because people show up. It is fantastic. It's amazing to me. And it is available to all of us. And that's what we don't imagine when we're looking at a trauma. We can only see the negative, this cancer diagnosis, the sick child, the death of a spouse. We never imagine what's going to flank us, which is in the form of the kindness of strangers. Yeah. Or or a new love or a new or a new book or a dedication to self-awareness and spirituality like you've had. I mean, yes. there are gifts always. Many, 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 many gifts. Yeah. It's really honestly trauma is a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really its function. Yeah. It is. It's a catalyst for growth. Yeah. And it's whether I'm not saying it's easy. Again, back to that, that, I'm not saying it's easy and it's over a course of time. Yes. And that's yes. part, again, part of our young adolescent mindset culture is that we want everything yesterday. We want yeah. to know it now. We want to fix it now. Well, that just isn't how it works. No, it's not. And anybody who's had a major loss knows that. Yeah. They know it inside themselves, whether whether whatever they want to, it to be, they know it does not happen immediately. Just there's no much way as we would like it to <laughs> much as, as great as yeah. that would be. Yeah. As much yeah. as magic fairy dust, you can uh, spin on it. It doesn't. Well, absolutely. Lisa, tell us one more time the name of your book. Just so I want everyone to hear it. Very nice. The light in nine 11 shocked by kindness, healed by love. And it's on Amazon. Um, it's 10 99. The ebook is a dollar 99. I just want people to be able to have it. It's not about making money. This is the culmination. And I'll, I'll leave you with this at this 20 year mark. This is the culmination of setting that intention. And so the book, anytime I spend, I've never made money with any of what I've done. It's all giving back as part of figuring out the why of everything, because it is actually here. It's actually available to us. And the why, what why have you figured out? While I'm here to know that we, the, my why is that we are here to struggle, that life is happening for us, not to us, that the, the life is our classroom and the struggles are the lessons that we're not actually here to be happy. We're here to struggle in a contrasted environment. We're here to have opposition and contrast and duality so that we can learn through the and grow through that experience. If it was all only good, we wouldn't go anywhere. Yeah, exactly. It, and it, happiness comes in between all of that growth, that growth. There's, I think you can, I'm sure completely relate to this. There is nothing more satisfying than figuring it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. And, and there's also happiness is, 
not a, a consistent um, experience. It's an event that we go in and out of, and that's right. life. You know, right. people say, well, I just want my child to be happy. I said, well, then, you know, like die them, put them in some semi-frozen state, and that's it. <laughs> I mean, come on. Right. It, right. That's not life. We live, we go up, we go down. It is day and night. It is trauma and, and delight. And it's all a big mixture out there. And it's our job, as you've so beautifully said, to choose the good in it and to see that and to embrace that and surrender to it, even when we're in resistance to it. So absolutely right. And lower those expectations. <laughs> Lisa, I, my expectations of you have been totally met. They have been high and they have been met. Thank you, dear. Well, you're a delight. Thank it's you, my dear. Pleasure. Thank you Lisa. for having me, Pat. Uh, and best wishes to everyone out there. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all of our other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home online at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.